Hello. Oh, sorry. Hello. You guys good? Now, only God's good, we're getting better, eh? Um, are you all right if I take my shoes off? Thank you. Hello, Phyllis. <laughs> so, um, it's great to be with you again tonight. And um, tonight we are going to be, what are we doing? We're doing foundations. Well done. And uh, we remember we had that memory device to help us with the concept of salvation. And last week we talked, or Sunday we talked about, well, we talked about the watermelon. And then which color did we talk about? We talked about black, which symbolizes evil and darkness and the things that are wrong with the world. Uh, just like light symbolizes good and God and, and His righteousness, and we can walk in His righteousness. Um, and so what are the other colors? Red, white, and green. And so tonight we're going to be talking about red, which talks about the, the blood of Jesus, the redemptive qualities of the blood of Jesus. And just a quick recap. Sin had four words that described it in the Greek and the Hebrew. The one had to do with missing the mark. The one had to do with trespass, where we stumble. There's things that we do that we shouldn't do. There's things that we should be doing that we don't do. The one had to do with transgression, where we know the things that we shouldn't do, but we rebel and we end up doing them. And then the last one is where we iniquity, where we are, if we habitually um, carry on in sin, that we get twisted out of the image of God and we actually we lose our function as stewards um, of God's grace in this world. Do you guys have a good day today? I just feel like I'd like to pray for us. So why don't you close your eyes? Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you, Father, that tomorrow there will be new mercies for us. And so, Father, I just pray that tonight as we come together around your word, Lord, that we would put the day to rest. And that we would come into your presence tonight refreshed and focused. And so, Father, if there's anything that has come and has distracted us and the busyness of the day and what we have to do tomorrow, Father, we just lay those things aside. And we ask that your peace that transcends all understanding will garrison and mount God over our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus as we look at your word tonight. I pray, Father, that you would be here with your Holy Spirit, that we'll, this will, won't just be information, but that, that it would be revelation, that it would illuminate our hearts and our minds and our understandings, and that tonight you'll bring us into a greater measure of freedom. And we thank you for that in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. And so if there's anything here tonight, Lord, that wants to distract us, Father, we just say this is your place. This is your house. We are your people. We've been marked by your blood. And so we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. And so the blood of Jesus, of blood, blood. I mean, like it's one of those Christianese type of things. We say the blood of Jesus. But for us as Westerners, blood doesn't mean much, right? I mean, who of you still kill animals and eat their flesh? Oh, there's a few of us here that hunt probably. But the rest of us think like, you know, my chicken comes in the packet and so does my chops. And we don't really understand that, that life is in the blood. And so when we say the blood of Jesus and, and, and we talk about the whole concept, it probably doesn't make much sense for us in our Western mindsets. And so what I'd like to do for us is I'd like to explain to us 
what it is that the blood of Jesus does for us, but also how we have to use the blood of Jesus so that our robes can become white and righteous. And so in Revelations, there's the scripture, Revelation 7, 14. I say to him, sir, you know, and this is obviously Revelation, it's written to John, and it says there, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And so when we use the blood of the Lamb, it whitens our robes. It's like Omo. Kowavater Omo. Therefore, they are before the throne, and this is what the blood does for us. It brings us before the throne so that we can have interaction with God. And they serve Him day and night so that we can be of service to the Lord. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. So there's three things that the blood does for us. It brings us before the throne. It helps us to serve the Lord, and it shelters us in His presence. In Him, Ephesians 1.7 says, We have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of His grace. And redemption is a term, it's a technical term, it's a legal term. And if you were a slave and you were redeemed, you were bought by a master and taken from one master and, re- and given, handed over to another master. Now, as a slave, do you have any control of where you go, what you do, where you stay, what you eat? No. And so the Bible says we are slaves to sin. And when Jesus' blood was shed for us, he bought us out of the slave market, Ephesians says, and he translated, he brought us into God's kingdom. We, we now no longer become slaves to God, we become servants, but we also become sons and daughters in his house. And that's what the blood of Jesus does for us. It, it's redemption, all right? It brings redemption. It brings us into his kingdom. You get that? So the priests in the Old Testament used the blood in the sacrifices in four ways. They would mark with it, they would sprinkle it, they would pour it, and they would wring it out. And it's in the same way we can apply the blood of Jesus in these four ways to attain four different things. And so let's look at the redemptive history story of Israel in order to understand what it is that the blood does for us. Okay. So... You know when Israel was captive and Moses was sent and the plagues kind of like got wrapped up, what was the last plague? The angel of death. And so what did Moses tell the Israelites to do? They had to take a spotless lamb, slay it, cut its throat, catch the blood, and that caught blood, they would then take a hyssop branch, they would dip it into the blood, and they would mark the lintels and the doorposts of their house. And that night when the angel of death came past, everyone whose door was marked, his firstborn didn't die. But anyone whose door who wasn't marked, his firstborn son would die. And so the blood of Jesus is a propitiation. It's a sacrifice, and this is what propitiation means. It's a big word that means it's a sacrifice that turns away wrath. Now, remember we spoke about in sin, that on the third level of sin, that when we break a rule, that there's a consequence. And generally, when we break rules, we want to hide, right? When I did wrong, I, wanna, I don't want to be with my father. I was a very naughty teenager. I grew up, I was, came out of a divorced home. And then my parents would sometimes leave us alone, or me, over the weekends, alone at home, 
Why they would do that, I don't know. But they did that, and then we would have parties. And then at the end of the week, end, just before they came home, we would be walking around the house picking up the cigarette butts and picking up the beer tops. And, you know, because I knew that if my dad found out that we'd had a party there, I would be in big trouble. But that week after the party, whenever the phone rang, I would be petrified. And I didn't really want to be in my father's presence because I had this guilt on me. Because just now the neighbors phone him and they tell him what we did and I would be in so much trouble. And so what Jesus' blood does for us is it marks the doorpost of our heart. So that the anger of God against sin will pass over us. And so maybe you grew up with a strict father. Or maybe you grew up in a hostel. And your perception of God the Father is, is one of sternness. You know, he's God, and he's there, and he's kind of like waiting with a lightning bolt, just waiting for you to give a wrong step so that he can catch you out and punish you. Because some of us had very strict fathers or very strict authority figures in our life, and it's impacted our view of God the Father. And God is not one that's sitting up there scorning at you, waiting to catch you out. He's one that's there as a loving father wanting to move you along and be with you, and lead you, and guide you. And so, the first thing that the blood of Jesus does is, is it takes away the wrath of God. It takes away the anger of God. And so, it allows us as God's people to come into His presence. And so, Hebrews 3 says, in your, now in your great need, you can enter into God's presence. So, when we sin, when we make mistakes, because as Christians, we still make mistakes, right? Do we? Yes, I know, I've been saved for, I don't know, since 1992, a long time. And I'm not perfect, and I still make mistakes. I don't habitually make them, I don't want to make them, but sometimes I slip and I miss. And so the point here is that when we make a mistake, where should we run to? We should run towards our Father and not away from our Father. We should run towards His church and not away from His church. Because sinfulness would want, us to, would want to make us hide. And in John it says that if we live in the light as he is in the light, we will have true fellowship with one another. And so Jesus' blood marks the doorpost of our heart, which enables us to run towards the Father and not away from him. To run towards the church and not away from him. Especially in our time of need especially when we've made a mistake. We've said something wrong. We've done something wrong. We've been places where we shouldn't have. We've touched things that we shouldn't have touched. Our feet have gone, taken us places where we shouldn't have gone. And that's the difference between conviction and condemnation. Do you know what's the difference between conviction and condemnation? Because the Bible says, you know, even though God's anger or his wrath has been dealt with, he is still a loving father that will discipline us because God disciplines those that he loves. And so what's the difference between conviction and condemnation? Condemnation is this. Is if I have a car and uh, it's insured, and say it's insured for 50000 and I have an accident, and then the assessor comes and he looks at my car 
And he says, you know what, Monet, your bumper is scratched. We're going to have to replace your bumper and your light is cracked. We're going to have to replace your light. It's going to cost 50,000 rand, which it probably does these days. And say that the damage is 60,000 rand. He goes, you know what, we're going to condemn this car. We're going to scrap it. We're going to give you some money. You can go buy something else. But we're going to scrap this car because it's not worth, the worth of it is not worth saving. It's not worth fixing. And that's what the devil will make us feel. Is that the sin that we've done is so big that Jesus' blood can't cover it. That we are not worth saving. So if you ever come into a situation where you feel so, that you've sinned so big and so, your sin is so great that God's blood cannot cover it. That, you know, you're going to be condemned. You're going to be con- destroyed. Like, what do they do with those cars? They put them in that machine and they, they squash them and then they throw them in odd stuff, and then they make other stuff with it. God never does that. Because you're always redeemable. You're always fixable. And so maybe you're sitting here tonight, and you think that the sin that you've committed is a sin that only you've committed, and you've committed the most heinous crime against God. And the thing about this is, and I can feel this in the spirit, is that we, 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 we you know, sometimes those deep, dark things, you know, those skeletons that right back in your closet, those things that you've never told anyone about. You know, the sand of time come and it covers over those things. And we forget about those things, kind of. But we still walk with this limp. We wonder, why can't I come into God's presence? Why can't I feel Him? Why can't I experience Him? It's sometimes, it is. Sorry, that was quite well done. Sometimes, thank you, Lucas agrees. It's because we've, we've buried those things and our identity has been linked to that shame and that sin. It is, it's especially with sexual sin. Because somehow sexual sin is deeper than other sins. It involves our whole body. The Bible says when we involved in, in, what's the right word here? In intimacy, we become one flesh. And, and we battle to get rid of these things. And it, and it twists us and it, it changes us. And when we bring those things under the blood of Jesus, I want to say that no matter what was done or what you've done, that the blood of Jesus is strong enough to cover the wrath of God, to bring you into discipline, and God will bring you in as his son and his daughter in his house. You will never be. There, there is no sin that you can do that is bigger than what the blood of Jesus can cover. So now some of you are thinking like, okay, so what's the unforgivable sin? And so Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees, and I'm just going to paraphrase this because this isn't really my notes. Speaking to the Pharisees, and oh, what? Oh, shucks. Now I can't remember the passage. And they were saying to him, you casting out these demons by the help of the Holy Spirit, right? That's what they said. By Beelzebub. And Jesus says, every sin will be forgiven you except blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. So every sin will be forgiven us except blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. So what is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? So blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is this. 
is the Holy Spirit is the one that convicts me of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So if the Holy Spirit convicts me, and my heart is cut, and I, and I, I go like, what should I do? He points me to Jesus because Jesus' blood was shed for me. And if I accept Jesus' redemptive blood in faith, I get washed clean from my sin and I can come into a relationship with the Father. So if I reject the convicting work of the Holy Spirit, can I, come into, can I accept what Jesus did for me on the cross in faith? No, because he's the one that convinces me. Can I then come into a relationship with God the Father? No, I can't. So blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is this is if you reject the Holy Spirit, you cannot receive salvation because you've rejected the very one that's communicating God's grace to you. And so you've not committed blasphemy against the Holy Spirit if you're listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And so if you've backslidden, don't let the devil trap you with that, that you've committed a sin that you cannot come back. Is this all right? I, I normally don't go here, but maybe I'm, we are we doing this for a reason. So the blood of Jesus marks our heart so that the anger of God gets dealt with. So now when God looks at you, he looks at you with love. And love has discipline. Love has correction. Love has walking with. Love has purpose. And God brings you into his family. It's the first thing that the blood does. And so the Israelites mark the doorposts of their heart. Well, Jesus marks the doorpost of your heart. And you come out of captivity. The second thing that the priests did with the blood is, is they sprinkled it. So it's marking for propitiation. It's sprinkling for consecration. And we see uh, that when Aaron and the priests were uh, ordained into their priestly role, they took oil and they, in, it's in Exodus 29, 29, 21, they took oil and blood and they sprinkled their robes, their vestments. And that then enabled them to work in the most holy place and to, to work in the temple for the Lord. And so God comes and he sprinkles us with the oil of the Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus, which consecrates us. And consecrates means to set you apart for service. Who of you want to be used by God? I think all of us do. And so the blood of Jesus sets us apart and consecrates us for service. And in 2 Timothy 2.20, there's this wonderful scripture where Paul writes and says, Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable use. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself, say with me, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself, from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. And so if you want to be used by God, we have to consecrate ourselves. We have to clean ourselves. And I've, I've always I used this example. How many of you have brushed your teeth? Well done. How many of you have got those new toothbrushes? This is the one with the batteries. You, like, you just don't put up your hands ever, hey? Everyone put up your hand. No, no everyone. Thank you. God, with great power comes great responsibility. Everyone stand on one leg. <laughs> no, don't. 
I still use an old toothbrush. And when you use an old toothbrush, after you've used it a while, what happens to it? It goes, you know, it kind of, and then when you're brushing your teeth, it kind of like it becomes a little bit useless. Because you're trying to get to that chop at the back, and you're like, it just doesn't get into the gaps, you know. So my mom used to take those toothbrushes, and she didn't throw them away. Now, she would use them for the toilet, for those hard-to-reach places. Would you brush your teeth with that toothbrush? No, you wouldn't. Why? (laughs) Well, it's gross. But it's not clean. And so that's exactly what Paul's saying. You choose. Do you want to be a toothbrush or a toilet brush? And the amount that you cleanse yourself with Jesus' blood, make yourself useful, will be the amount that God uses you. The choice is yours. That's why those oaks in Revelation, they washed their their robes with with Jesus' blood, and they became useful. Thank you. So how does this work? I'm going to give you an example. I normally give this later, but it feels like the right moment. So I was a um, pharmacist at Panorama Medic Clinic. It's down the drag here. And uh, I, was the, I was an intern there that year. I started working as an intern. And so every year they take in two interns. There's like seven, nine pharmacists there. And so when you're an intern, you know nothing. You've just studied for four years. You think you know everything, but they, you actually learn to work while you're there. And the previous year, you know, they teach you to put on the computer and do stuff like that. Um, and the previous year, they had had an intern, which she worked there, but she didn't really fit into the team because it's a busy pharmacy. We like we did hundreds of scripts, thousands of items a day. So that team needs to be really well oiled. Everyone needs to work together. Otherwise, you just don't get the work done. Or you make mistakes and you give out the wrong medicine and it's kind of like that's big problems and big consequences. And so we were working there and the previous year there was an intern there and she didn't fit well into that team. And so the pharmacists that were permanent there, they were still like gossiping about her. You know, talking bad stories about her and how she was this and how she was that and how she was this. And I'd like, I was, I'd committed my life back to the Lord at that stage and I heard these stories and the one day, I just, I can't remember where it was, but I, I retold one of these stories, second hand or third hand. And as I told that story, just the conviction of the Holy Spirit came on me. You know that conviction where you're, your stomach, your stomach, your stomach, your stomach, you've got, a, you've got an excuse, I am Afrikaans, eh? Your stomach drops out and you just know like, oh no, now I've just done the wrong thing. Like just the convicting presence of the Holy Spirit was upon me. And he said to me, Monet, you have to go and apologize to that lady. Now, the problem is I'd never met her. I didn't know who she was. I didn't know where she worked because she wasn't an intern anymore. She'd moved on. And it just, that conviction just didn't want to go away. And I tried. You know, you, I tried. I tried to bargain with God. I tried to get out of it. And it just, it just God's presence grew dimmer and dimmer and dimmer, and the dread of having to do this grew bigger, bigger, and bigger. And so I found out where she worked, and the one morning, like, we sometimes work 
like uh, one to nine, and I went the morning, and I, I went to this pharmacy in Paro, and I walked in, and I said, hello, are you? She said, yes. I said, you don't know me. My name is Monet. I'm sorry, I gossiped about you. Will you please forgive me? She kind of like looked at me like, who are you? She said, all right, that's okay. And I like just tailed it out of there. Why am I telling you the story? It's because the Holy Spirit is the one that will clean you. I'm a pastor today. You know what happens with pastors? People tell us all the stories. And we help them to forgive and we help them with the blood of Jesus to get breakthrough. If I had a loose tongue and I spoke about people's stories and I was untrustworthy, do you think I would be fit to do the job that Jesus had ordained for me to do from before the foundation of the world was laid? Do you, would, I, would I have been fit? No. And so who's the one that cleansed me? Did I choose to cleanse myself? Yes, I kind of like said, yes, Lord, I want to be cleansed. But God worked it out in circumstance so that I got to a place where I could sacrifice. And at that moment, something of Mornay died and something of Christ rose. And that's the life of a Christian. As it says, we will take up our cross daily and follow Jesus. And so, do you you see the connection? And so, my question is, is what's God speaking to you about? Because sometimes, this thing of let the peace of the Lord actually, you know, I don't feel peace. Do you think I felt peace when God told me to go speak to that chick? No, I didn't feel any peace. I felt dread and fear. But there's a difference between tranquility and peace. You see, tranquility is a thing of the soul, where peace is a thing of the spirit. And so sometimes it will be very uncomfortable. Do you think it was uncomfortable for Jesus on the cross? It was very uncomfortable. It was excruciating. And so we apply the blood of Jesus as the Holy Spirit brings us to altars and moments of sacrifice where we lay ourselves on the altar and parts of us die and parts of Jesus is resurrected. And in that way, we get sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. And Jesus cleanses us so that we become useful in his house. It's good news and bad, eh? (laughs) It's all good news. So marking for propitiation, the wrath has been handled. God's not angry with you. God loves you. God cares for you. Sprinkling for consecration, making you holy, useful for work. You've got a question. I hope I can answer it because you've got very good questions. <laughs> In that scripture that you read at the beginning, it says, if he cleanses himself, but you're saying that the blood consecrates us. So is us cleansing ourselves like cooperating when the Holy Spirit tries to? Is that how we, how do we cleanse ourselves? 
So how do we cleanse ourselves? I think, you know, sometimes we, there's no formulas. So you can cleanse yourself by, if, if you can become aware of an area of sin in your life, you can pray about it, dedicate it to the Lord, and you can have breakthrough just right there and then. Or maybe you don't have breakthrough, but you're still aware of the area of sin, and then maybe you need to, you see, you've got repentance, renunciation, and confession. So sometimes we've got sins that are deeper than just the surface. It's not something that I've just done once or twice. It's something that I've done my whole life, and I can't get breakthrough. There sometimes confession is good. And confession, James says, if we confess our sins one to another, we will be healed of it. It's not that our sins will be forgiven. Our sins get forgiven with repentance. But sometimes confession, and I'm not talking about because we confess before the Lord, yes. That's a vertical component. When I confess my sin to the Lord, Lord, I'm sorry I did this. Lord, I'm sorry I did that. No, a horizontal confession where we, where we incorporate it into the body and I go to someone that I trust and I say, you know what? Here's something that I'm not having breakthrough in. I can't stop gossiping. I can't stop stealing. I can't stop watching things that I shouldn't watch. It's become a habit in my life. It's, will you pray with me? Because forgiveness is not enough. You need the help of the body so that you can get healing from it. That wound needs to be healed. Does that make sense? So, so sometimes it's just the Holy Spirit brings conviction, He brings awareness, and then you've got to ask yourself, what do I do? But we'll get to that later. And then other times, but it, I, you know, I think, is that clear enough? You've kind of like put me on the spot here. If I have to say how it works, it doesn't work in the flesh. So it's not that I choose. It's that when the Holy Spirit chooses for me. Because when the Holy Spirit chooses for me, there's faith. There's conviction. There's grace. When I choose, and that's maybe not as clear set, but we want to, as we keep in step with the Spirit, we are called sons and gods, sons and daughters of the living God. So, I still have sin. I, I, I just don't know what it is. You still have sin. Because the Bible says, if we say we have no sin, we liars. So, we're never perfect. You guys are good with that, eh? So, so what is then the sin that we need to repent of? Well, it's the sin that we become aware of. What is the sin that we become aware of? Well, it's the sin that the Holy Spirit brings conviction on. How does the Spirit bring conviction? Well, He can bring conviction through a friend that tells us about something. Or He can bring conviction through the small, still voice in our heart. Or He can bring conviction by us reading the Word and becoming aware of something. Or He can bring conviction by someone preaching and it becomes real to you. You know that time when I'm talking and you're thinking I'm looking at you? Oh, my hat, he's just looking at me. No, I'm not looking at you. God's looking at you. And in that moment, and, and I'm, I'm willing to, to be wrong here. I'm willing to be corrected. But I believe that in that moment, there's faith. An act of faith, an act of grace that can change you. That, that energy might not be there in half an hour. You see, faith is to, what's Hebrews 11, 1? Yeah, I said it a bit louder. (laughs) 
Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. So now it's the substance of things that we hope for. We hope for things that are still coming. The evidence of things that are unseen. So now when God convicts me in my heart, that's why on Sunday when I did the altar call, I said, there's something invisible happening in your heart. Sorry, I don't like pointing my finger, but I am. Because the Holy Spirit is busy convicting you in that moment. So then I say, stand up. I can tell you, you can sit on your chair. You can stand on your head. But the reason I ask you to put up your hand is you have to make what is happening invisibly in your heart, you have to make manifest and visible in this earth. That's the process of Christianity. Is we serve a God that we don't see. Who of you have seen God? Who of you have not seen God? Yeah. But we know He exists because He speaks to us. We, we recognize Him. And then when He speaks, more than that, we recognize. We don't harden our heart. We don't turn away from it. We don't doubt. Well, sometimes we doubt, but that's okay. God knows that we, like Peter, He'll lift us up. But then we act. And that action is what saves you. Romans 6 says that when Abram listened to God, it was credited to him as righteousness. Not when he... You get that. It's your faith that saves you. It's as you keep in step with the Spirit. But you need to do that every day. It's not just a one-off action. There's a moment that it begins, but then there's a lifestyle of doing it. We're actually covering green now. The fruitful practices of Christianity. And that's how we live. Imagine this. Abram. He hears this small, still voice in his heart. Go to a country that I'm going to show you. God didn't say to him, go to Palestine. Go to Canaan. He said to him, Abram, pack your stuff and walk out the city gate. Now, just the context historically is, is that they lived in a city called Ur of the Chaldeans. It was a great city. It had walls around it. It had libraries, parks, stone houses. And when Abram got called, and I speak under correction, but do you know how old he was when he got called? He was 90, and he was still staying with his father. Failure to launch. <laughs> so now imagine this. Hey, Dad, I'm gonna go, can I have all my stuff? Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go. There's this God that I can't see. He told me to uh, go to this place that he hasn't told me yet where to go. I'm like, call the doctors, get the jacket, like, you're going to a padded room. <laughs> and he, he trusted that voice more than all the opposition. You see, faith will challenge your comfort. It will challenge your fear. And so he goes. And that was credited to him as righteousness. And so... The green practices of Christianity is this, is that we must place ourselves in a place where we can hear the word of the Lord. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of the Lord, Romans ten seventeen, And not just the Logos word. I don't have a Bible here. 
but not just the written text. The living word that convicts us in our heart, that word, which can come through the Bible, through preaching, through teaching, through community, through speaking in tongues, through the small, still voice. Through, so as a Christian, to be fruitful, we need to place ourselves in a place where we can hear the word of God. When we hear the word of God, we need to accept the word of God, not harden our hearts like the Israelites did in the rebellion, not doubt like Peter did when he walked on the water, but accepting the word and then asking this question like the, the Jews did the day that Peter preached, what shall we do? What must I do? And that can mean that God wants you to pray. It can mean that God wants you to confess. It can mean that God wants you to repent. It can mean that God wants you to renounce. It can mean that God wants you to do something like he told me to go and say sorry to that lady. And as you you listen to him, God takes you from one degree of glory to the next. But it's linked to hearing, cutting of the heart, conviction, faith, obedience, which releases grace. And that's why I say, I think sometimes faith and grace is, it's situational. It's not, it's always accessible. But there's moments where you don't miss the moment. You know, today, if you would hear his voice. Today, now. If God's speaking to you now, act now. Because you don't know if you have tomorrow. And it's when we find in Christ that the wrath of God is not on us. But when we move out of Christ, there's consequence. <laughs> Are you guys all right? Because I'm not sure if I am. <laughs> and so, you know, that's how, we, that's how we, so as Christians, we need to practice these things. We need to pray. We need to read our Bible. We need to put ourselves in a place where the convicting word of the Lord can come. And when we do these things, we, we become fruitful. So ask yourself, how fruitful am I? How much am I willing to listen to the Holy Spirit? How much is, am, I, am I willing to step out of my comfort and my convenience? Because when God speaks to you, Bru, and Bru, Brudette, <laughs> it's like, I can, tell you, can I tell you guys another story? Are you guys with me? So Julie might remember this. God speaks to me one night. We're still in the labyrinth for Nicaragua. And uh, he says to me, it's like I like at the end of the service, you know, when everything's quiet and Andrew's land, landing the meeting. And he says to me, when I stand in your chair, I'm like, do you remember that? And I'm like, so I've been walking with God for a while, so I recognize his voice. I'm like, I'm a pharmacist, man. Like, it's got to be logical. Pills go in boxes, and there's 20 of them, and they've got expiry dates, and it's, everything's neat and packed, you know? Stand on your chair. I'm like, no. Stand on your chair and face backwards. Now, I'm clever enough to realize this is getting worse. I don't know what the next... Sta- stand on your chair, face backwards, and take off your T-shirt. I don't know. So what I do is, is I, I get up, and I stand on my chair. It was stupid at the time for me. So now I'm standing there with my red face. Like everyone's looking at me like, have you lost your marbles? Like what's going on with you? So I stand there for about, I don't know, 30 seconds, minute. And God says to me, sit down. <laughs> so now I'm sitting, I'm blushing. I mean, like this is 
one of the most embarrassing moments of my life. And I'm like, God, like what was that about? Silence. So luckily the elders don't call me in afterwards, never talk to me. <laughs> and it just like, and years later I realized, I grew up out of a broken home and I had a massive fear of man. Like people's opinion mattered more to me than God's opinion. And I just always struggled with that. And that night, something of me died. The fear of man died. What I do for a living now is I speak to people. I speak to crowds of people. They say public speaking, people fear it more than death. It is something to be feared. But God knew what he had in store for me. And so that night when he made me stand on the chair, even though I didn't know what it was about, because the Bible says that the fear of man is a snare. What does a snare do? It goes around your leg and it ties you to something and you can't move forward. And so at that point, that moment in my life, God said, I need you to move forward. I'm going to cut the snare tonight. But you see, what he needed was, is he needed my obedience. God can't do it on his own. He can't do it in my sleep. So God brought a moment of conviction. I acted in faith. I made the unseen visible, and I stood on the chair. God broke that fear of man in my life, and, now, and he released me into my destiny. Not immediately, but he enabled me to, in the future, walk into my destiny. Because if I had fear of man, I would never be able to do what I'm doing now. And it's the same for you. And so, 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 so when we listen, it brings assurance. It brings hope. Because that's what Hebrews 11 says. So if you're insecure, you're not assured of your position, then listen to the Holy Spirit. And when you act in faith, because you know when he speaks. So you get assured in your faith. You get hope in your heart. You have a future and a destiny. And in Hebrews eleven six says, the pleasure of the Father is upon you. How many of you, for that moment when you act in obedience to the Lord, when I walked out of that pharmacy and I apologized for gossiping, it was like the whole of heaven was smiling at me. I was like, yay! I was like free, energized, because... My Father in heaven was pleased with me because I acted in faith. So if I can give you any encouragement, listen to the Holy Spirit. Listen to Him. He's the one that leads us. He's the one that teaches us. He's the one that guides us. He's the one that brings us into these moments of faith according to the blood of Jesus, according to the plan of God. But he's the one that's here with us. He's the one that's with you now. He's the one. If you've given your heart to Jesus, he is in you. And he wants to flow because Jesus says rivers of living water will gush up into life. Now I'm at the end, but I'm not even at the beginning. 
Okay, maybe we can get there again. So, so thanks for that question, Lucas. So, so, sorry, we jumped around a little bit now. Now we talked about the green. You guys get that? So let's quickly jump back to the red, the blood of Jesus. It deals with the wrath. It deals with the fact that God's going to make you useful. The blood was poured for expiation, for the removal of sin. The Bible says that as far as the east is from the west, God will remove our sins and our iniquities from us. Does the east and the west ever touch? You know, the east goes that way and the west goes that way. It doesn't touch somewhere there by the Philippines or Australia. No. It, so when God removes your sin from you, it never touches you again. On Hebrews, Hebrews, Twelve is uh, no. Where is it? Propitiation, expiation. In Hebrews ten seventeen it says. Also, he adds, their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. So here's a question for you: Does God remember your sin? No. Does God have dementia or Alzheimer's? No, God doesn't have dementia or Alzheimer's. So that's not what that means. So that word there is remember, but the Greek word is menomasomai. Meno meaning to pause, and masomai meaning to chew. Now, how many of you have been on a farm with cows? A few of us. So a cow's got a couple of stomachs, right? How many stomachs? Six? Four stomachs, thank you. So in the morning when they open the gates, the cows run out, and they're like, that grass is mine. So they go and they eat as much as they can, and they fill up their one stomach, or I'm not quite sure how it works. They eat as much as they can. They stuff themselves. Then in the middle of the roundabout, you'll find the cow, you'll go and stand in a spot somewhere, and then he does this. He vomits into his mouth and then chews it. And then swallows it. Milk. And that's exactly what God doesn't do with you. When you come into his presence, he doesn't go, oh, let me tell you a little story. When I was a little boy, I got two rand pocket money. And that was quite a bit for a week. And Wilson toffees were two cents. But I had a problem as a little boy. My appetite for, for, for toffees was bigger than the amount of money that I had. So I figured out that if I go, I was really small, eh? so don't judge me. I figured out that when I went to the shop, I would take some of the toffees and put it in my underpants. And then I would pay for some of the toffees. And then I would go and I would get more toffees than what I paid for. Oh, what did that make me? A thief. What did I do? I stole. Is God happy with that? No. So when I came to Jesus, his blood covered over my sin. He made my robes white as snow. So now when I come into God's presence, he doesn't go, hey, here's Monet the thief. He goes, hey, here's Monet my son. 
You see, He doesn't bring my sin identity back to me. It's not that God can't remember that when I stole the toffees when He was a stupid young boy. It's that He can't remember, well, He he can remember, but he chooses not to bring that identity to me. He chooses to look at me through the blood of Jesus and go, yes, my name my son, not yes, my name the thief that is disqualified and deserves punishment. So that's how God views you. Is no matter what you've done, God removes the identity of the sin from you. The problem here is, though, is that even though God forgives us, sometimes we don't forgive ourselves. And we end up regurgitating on the things that we've done. And when you, you know, you, and the devil also loves this. He'll remind you of the things that you did last summer. And when he brings those thoughts to you, what happens? You start, you vomit them up and you start chewing on them. And then what happens? You start thinking about it. And then you start feeling the feelings And then what happens? Before long, you take on that sinful identity again. And you start acting out of the old self. And so it doesn't help that that God doesn't remember our sins. We need to apply the blood of Jesus to our thoughts. And wash our thoughts clean. So that we can live in the new identity that God has given us. Does that make sense? How do we do that? You do that in prayer. You literally do that in prayer. As you might have some images in your mind that you're battling with. Like I've had that. I've, had, I've done stuff that I'm not proud of, and that, but I couldn't get rid of those images. And the one, I, I read about this and I thought, let me try this out. So I'm also happy for the elders to speak to me about this, but this worked for me. And I, I sat in a quiet time, with the presence of the Lord there, and I said, Lord Jesus, I bring this image before you, and I took it and I washed it with the blood of Jesus. I took a paintbrush, and I just let the red cover it. And it's like God erased that memory from my mind. I can still recall it, but it's not as at the top of my mind. It's like the blood of Jesus covered it over. If you're battling with stuff like that, Do that. Give it to the Lord. And you don't have to do that, but give it to the Lord and plead the blood of Jesus over those things so that your identity can change. Is that good, Lucas? That was the third one, is the removal, the expiation of sin. And then the fourth one is that the, the, the doves necks were broken and the, and the blood was wrung out on the side of the altar. And that speaks about dedication. And there's another place in the Old Testament that that word wrung is used. And it's with Gideon. You guys know the story of Gideon? There were the Amalekites and the Ikes and all the parasites and they were busy falling into, like, coming into Israel and there were as many as the, like, the sands of the sea. And Gideon was caught in fear. And he was like hiding in the wine press, the great warrior that he was. So God comes to him and he says to him, listen, I want you to deliver the people. And Gideon's like, all excuses. I'm the least and the smallest of the least tribe, blah, blah, blah. And God says, no, I've 
calling you. I've called you. So Gideon said, all right, if you give me a sign, then maybe I'll believe. So tonight, on the threshing floor, I'm going to put my scarf feliki, my, my, my sheepskin. And if the sheepskin is wet and the threshing floor, the, the rock or the piece of cement that's there is dry, then, you know, I'll know that it's you. So water precipitates under certain conditions. You know, the humidity has got to be right, the pressure has got to be right, and then all of a sudden, like out of nowhere, out of air, things get wet. You know, like this time of year, you get your car and it's wet. It didn't rain in the night, it just dude. The conditions were right. So it happens, and then, you know, the sheepskin's wet, he wakes up the next morning, and the threshing floor's dry. So he takes it, and he wrings it out, and it fills up a whole cup of, of water. So he's like, he's, a, he's got a little bit of doubt there, you know. So he's like, all right, well, okay, God, I know that was a miracle, but just one more time. Tonight, if the sheepskin's dry and the threshing floor is wet, then I know that you've called me. And so the next morning it happens. And I believe that little parable or that little story is there. It's not a parable. That story is there for us. Because the Holy Spirit came onto Jesus, who was in the threshing floor of the world. And Jesus came to do the will of the Father. And then when Jesus went up, he said, well, it's better that I go away, because if I don't go away, he won't come. And so now the Holy Spirit has come onto the threshing floor of the world, and the Lamb of God has gone to be with the Lord. And so God, and it says in Joel, that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. And that when we receive the Holy Spirit, God sends me and you out so that we can dedicate our lives to work in His kingdom in the threshing floor of the world. And that's the fourth thing that the blood of Jesus does for us. It consecrates us. It deals with the wrath of God. It deals with our identity in Christ so that we can know that we're sons and daughters of the living God. And it enables us, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to go into the world to take the kingdom of God and to extend it. And that's why we need the blood of Jesus, because those are the four things that the blood of Jesus does for us. And so the white is there. It's the imputation of Christ's righteousness. We receive white robes. We receive authority to walk this thing out. And so we need to overcome. We need to grow from being babies to being adults. And in Luke ten nineteen it says this, Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. Now, that's not real serpents and scorpions. That's symbolic of the power of the enemy here in this world. I've given you the authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And so God has given me and you authority to exercise to, to bring his kingdom into the scope of authority that he's given us. And so when we get saved, I've got to sort out my own heart first. I've got to sort out my own problems. And as I do that, as I follow the Holy Spirit, he starts healing me. I stop doing the things that I shouldn't do, the obvious sins. And he cleanses me and he cleanses me and he, he works with me and he works with me. And in my scope of authority, then, you know, my body and my relationships and my 
church, and he starts using us. And as I overcome and I overcome, I become more and more useful, and God uses me more. And then eventually, you know, I've sorted myself out, and then God maybe goes, yeah, are you faithful enough? I'll give you a goldfish, and then, you know, a goldfish doesn't die, and then give you a community, and then maybe you become a home group leader or maybe a deacon or an elder, whatever you call to. But our scope of authority grows, but we need to overcome. And we can't start working as an elder before we've worked with ourselves. We start, can't start working as a community leader before I've sorted out my own problems. I can't start giving other people advice on their families, and my own life is a mess. You see, we have to overcome in our own lives so that we are victorious, so that I can pass on the victory to you. And what gives us power is not because we're clever, it's not because we're old, it's not because we're gray, it's not because it's, we're wise, it's, not, it's, it's because we have authority. Why do we have authority? Because of Jesus. It's like this. If you drive on the N1 and you drive a little bit fast, you by Kraafontein, and you're going 160, and that blue man steps out in front of your car, what makes you stop? Because you could just go, Ravi, did you see anything? <laughs> you don't stop because that traffic officer has got special powers. He's not Superman. He can't stop you with his mind. Now, you stop because he's got a little badge on his, on his chest. And it says on that badge, Officer of the Republic of South Africa. And you know that if you drive over that man, that you won't make it to Paul before there's a lot of cars with blue lights on top of it. And they're going to stop you, take you before the judge, and throw you in jail. They're going to exercise their power, not just their authority. So when we take authority in our own lives, why does the devil have to listen to us? It's because we're acting in the authority of heaven. You've got the blood of Jesus on you. you marked. So when you speak... They have to listen. Who's they? The demons. Who of you believe in angels? Well, demons are just fallen angels. They're real. In our modernistic, reductionistic, materialistic worldviews, we want to reduce everything to psychology. Everything to something physical that we can understand. We are spiritual beings living in a physical body. But we living in a spiritual reality. Every thought that you think is not your own thought. We need, as Christians, to do spiritual warfare. How many of you have seen demons manifest? They're real. I'm glad there's so many hands that went up. The first time I saw a demon, I freaked. I was like, what? What was that? Put like the fear of God into me. But the Bible says that you will trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall harm you. We don't have to be afraid of them, but we rejoice that our names are in the Lamb's Book of Life. And so I trust that as a community of faith, that 
we take authority in our own lives and where we battle, don't always go give advice. Just sometimes sit before the Lord in prayer. Get to repentance. Get to confession. Get to renunciation. Do you know what's the difference between repentance and renunciation? Repentance root is, is metanoia, change your mind. Renunciation is, is to stop the flow of something in you. Sometimes we allow things to flow out of us. Remember I talked about the idols that we put on our heart and then that flows out of us? And so we here as a community of faith to help one another to overcome. And if we keep this place healthy, we keep a demon free. We're the light of the world. We keep on listening to the Holy Spirit leading and guiding us each day with the light of the world, with the righteousness of Christ, with the sons and daughters of the living God. We walk in power and authority because he's with us. Because God's got a plan. Jesus came to implement that plan, to reconcile us. And the Holy Spirit is now the one that leads us, guides us, teaches us, empowers us, and brings us to a place of victory. Maybe you're here sitting tonight and you don't feel like you are in victory. You feel like, you know, when you close, close your eyes. You know, I saw as I was praying for tonight, I saw scornful eyes looking at people. There's some of us here, we are walking around with scars. We think that God the Father is like an authority figure in our life. And I want you to tonight to bring that person to the Lord. And to forgive them, to release them, just like Christ released you. To forgive means to release, to let go. So just let that person go. Say, Lord Jesus, I forgive and I let them go. And I plead your blood over that situation in my life. Help me to see you like you really are. Help me to see you as a loving father who sent his son to die for me, who did everything possible to bring me into a relationship. And tonight, I'm here. I'm willing. I want more of you. So Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would just fill every heart that just prayed that prayer. That you will convince that you will fill, that we will feel your peace and your patience and your kindness and your goodness. Maybe you've been doing things that you shouldn't do and you want to be used by the Lord. You want to consecrate yourself. And as we've shared some of these stories tonight, there was conviction that came onto your heart. And the Holy Spirit showed something to you. Like he showed me to do those things. He's, he's asked you to do something. Or maybe he's shown you something that you're involved with. And I believe the power of God is here tonight for you to break free from that thing if you would repent. So if you feel like you need to repent from something tonight, I want to give you an opportunity to do so. And I simply, I want you to stand in your place. If you feel the convicting of the Holy Spirit on your heart right now, I would love to pray for you. Just right there where you stand. But I need you to stand as an act of faith before the Lord. So if you feel like you've done things, or you've said things, or you've gone places, or you've seen things, or you've got habits that 
you know this qualifies you from walking into the fullness that the Lord has for you. I just want you to stand right there. We're going to pray for you, and I trust that the blood of Jesus will tonight break you f- free into a greater measure of the destiny that God has for you. So just stand right there in your seat. Don't let the fear of man keep you back, like we're all sinners. You see, the precipitation of, the, of water works with, you know, water flows in a low place. And pride is, is I, I raise myself up. I need to protect myself. Don't let pride keep you back. Just come in humility. No one judges you. No one should. We all sin it. Saved by grace. All right, I'm just going to, those guys and ladies and guys that have stood, will you just reach out your hands in front of you? Just, and we're doing that just as a symbol of receiving from the Lord. So just reach out your hands and pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I bring my sin before you. I ask that you would forgive me for that which I've done. I receive your forgiveness right now. I ask that you would cleanse me that you would take my sin away from me as far as the east is from the west. I lay it at your cross. I thank you that I'm forgiven. I choose to walk away free in a new identity in Jesus. I thank you for that, Father. I thank you that your blood covers these minds you covered these hearts and that you've given them a fresh start tonight and that you will bring them into a place of victory in Jesus' name. Amen. So remember now, don't go chew. Don't vomit and chew. Sorry, I just want to think a little bit. Is that all right? I don't want to think. I just want to hear what God says. You know, we cannot do this thing in our own strength. We can't do it with great planning and wonderful teaching and God doesn't delight in those things. He delights in His Spirit. When the Holy Spirit fell upon the apostles, they they received power. And I've asked many times, you know, how many of you want to be used by the Lord? And you guys have responded many times. I want to be used. And like, like Gideon, we want to be dedicated so that we can fight the war. Whether it's 200 or 20,000 of us, it doesn't matter. Because God's with us. And if you want a, a fresh empowerment from the Holy Spirit tonight, you want a fresh upwelling so that you can take the ground that you, that you need to take, whether it be ground in, your, in yourself, whether it be ground in your family, whether it be ground in your finances, whether it be ground with your job, 
whether it be ground with your boss, whether it be ground with evangelism, whether it would be ground in holiness. You need power. You know, cars don't drive without petrol. You need petrol. And I believe God wants to come and charge some hearts here tonight. And so if that's you, can I just, we're just going to take a couple of minutes and, you know, let me say this. The Bible says, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. When, in Acts, when the, the Spirit fell on the apostles, the first thing that the, the, the Jews said to them is, are you guys drunk? And then Peter says, no, we're not drunk. It's only like, the bones not here, worry, man. It's like, it's not even nine o'clock in the morning. We, there's no time. We could have been drunk, but there's no time. So in other words, there's something about a connection between the Holy Spirit falling and, and it's, it seems like drunkenness. You, you there with me? So do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. The tense there says, be continually filled with the Spirit always. Let it flow. So when you drink, how many of you have been drunk? Thank you for your honesty. I also raised my hand, spent too much money on that. But what I realized about getting drunk is this, is you don't get drunk from one drink. I mean, if you want to get properly drunk, I mean, you've got to put some effort in. <laughs> you've got to drink and drink and drink, and then eventually you're like bush diving and, you know, doing all these stupid things. So... I believe what Paul's trying to say there is, is that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, it's like you can be in His presence. You can be under His presence. You know what I'm talking about. How many of you felt this presence of the Holy Spirit come? That's a special thank you. Thank you. Yes, you guys are learning quickly. <laughs> it's, it's a special thing, man. And what I've learned over the years is that when the Spirit comes like that, remain in His presence. It's like drinking. Now, you're not going to get drunk and do stupid things like we used to. Now, you're going to get filled with the Spirit. And as you remain in that place, because you can get up and walk away, and you can get up and you can go talk to someone, or you can get up and go have coffee, or you can go home and watch Netflix. But when the Spirit's on you like that, God chose to become, to incarnate Himself in flesh, Meaning that he has bound himself in this, this time frame reference that we live in. <laughs> what have I just said? You have to remain in, in the spirit when he's on you. Until he's done with what he's been doing. It's not like a drive through automatic and boom, now there it's gone. Or there it's done. And so... When the Spirit comes on you tonight, remain in Him. That's why we're going to get the worship team here. We're going to stand together. We're going to pray for you. And, you know, maybe some of you would want to have other people pray for you. Maybe some of you would just, you're going to feel the Spirit and He's going to be on you on your own. Just remain in the Spirit and trust that what He's doing is good for you because God only gives good gifts to His children, right? Is He going to give you a snake if you ask for the Spirit? Is he going to give you a rock if you ask for a bread or an egg? I don't get that one, but maybe you can help me. So God's going to give you something good. And so, is that all right, Nick? That's good. So I've talked so much.
Let's take a couple of minutes and let's worship. And let's trust that the Holy Spirit 